We've now arrived at John chapter 1, verses 43, where the disciples are being called. We've already seen in the last section that Andrew and Simon Peter were called to be disciples. And now, in verse 43, it reads as follows. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. And Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we found the one that Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. Now that's an interesting um, passage because here we find what almost seems like a miraculous calling and indeed many people have viewed this as a miraculous kind of calling. Jesus decides to leave for Galilee and finding Philip he said to him follow me. Now some people would understand that passage that Jesus looked around for Philip finally found him out of the blue said follow me to Galilee and Philip just dropped whatever he did having never seen Jesus before and decided that that calling was enough a kind of supernatural calling and therefore he would follow Jesus supernaturally and miraculously. Personally I don't take it that way. This is Jesus having been around for some time in this area, having spoken to many people and having impressed upon those people his character, his nature and his astonishing depth of wisdom and in fact his very words, the words of God which people were hanging on. And it seems to me that this would not be the very first occasion that Philip would therefore have seen him or heard of him. It's quite possible that Philip was with Andrew, with John the Baptist as well. And in fact, because this was the area where John the Baptist was, it's very likely too that Philip was also a previous disciple of John the Baptist, someone who was spiritually awakened and someone who was keen to understand more of the things of God. I suspected he'd heard Jesus talking. I suspected he'd heard other people um, describing their encounters with Jesus. And I expected he had a good knowledge of who this person was. And maybe, and I would suspect, a huge admiration and yearning to listen to him more. Maybe he'd spoken to him already. So I think this is the kind of setup which is much more likely. And in fact, that kind of suggestion that a more natural um, explanation when it's available is probably better than a supernatural explanation is a kind of principle which I often operate with here. It's a kind of an Occam's razor principle whereby if you have a natural explanation which will do, you don't need a supernatural explanation to insert into the narrative. The natural explanation is often the preferred one because very often the natural explanation will give you a greater insight into human nature and what's really been going on. And the thing which this gives you an insight into is really one important thing which we've missed out here. And that is 
the charismatic character of Jesus Christ. You know, there are very, very few people who you get so impressed with that if they called you to follow them, that you would leave whatever you were doing and you would go and follow them. You would only do that with the most exceptional person who you felt was the very word of life himself, someone who's, who's following would be absolutely essential to um, carving out a direction for your own life. That's the kind of relationship which is being spoken of here. And very few people have that magnetism and that charisma to be able to influence people in such a, a clear-cut and powerful way. But clearly, Jesus had that influence. It would take only a few moments for people to realise that this was someone rather special. This was someone who was way beyond anyone else that they'd ever met and that his character, his words, they were powerful and spiritually invigorating, something which was quite unusual amongst all the teachers which they'd ever met, someone who spoke with authority, someone who commanded respect, someone who commanded more than that, commanded worship and adoration for the way in which he spoke. I've never actually met someone with that level of charisma in my life, though I've been around for a bit, except for maybe one or two people who have had this kind of animal magnetism. I remember there's one guy in um, Hyde Park who had quite a following, a guy called Paul Hunt, who was remarkable in the way in which his charismatic personality enveloped disciples of himself, uh, for himself, so that many people followed him wherever he went to listen to what he had to say and he would spend a lot of time talking around um, old books or Nietzsche or the Greek philosophers and bringing those to life and pointing out life lessons for them. Nothing of course on the same level here as Jesus Christ who would have been a thousand times more commanding but nevertheless having a small insight into that gives me a much power powerful insight into how it can be that Jesus can just say to Philip follow me and he gets up and he goes. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida, and Philip found Nathaniel. Now, clearly, this is a friend of Philip's who, no doubt, they'd had spiritual conversations, and already Philip knows that Nathaniel is someone who is keenly spiritual and looking for a closer relationship with God. These are godly people, spiritual people, who have conversations about that. And they know for certain that if you were to meet this guy, Jesus, you would be overwhelmed by him and what he says. So Philip finds Nathaniel, not out of the blue, but because he knows him as a close friend, and tells him, we found the one that Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. In other words, they're identifying him as a real live person walking around as someone who has been spoken about a thousand years ago by Moses and by the prophets as well. Now, this is an, an astonishing identification to say that the person that we are expecting is in this bodily form of Jesus. He must have been such an impressively powerful figure to be able to make people think that that was so of him. The, the words he spoke, the wisdom that came from him, the words of God that came out of his mouth must have been in, 
intensely impressive and commanding and more than anything else that anyone had ever heard you cannot um, just think that of any person there has to be someone of remarkable stature and note and authority and um, he actually names him he names him as Jesus of Nazareth which is a town up north the son of Joseph Nazareth can anything good come from there now here's Nathaniel demonstrating his knowledge of the scriptures because he knows that um, the Bible does not declare that Nazareth is the place where the Messiah will come from Bethlehem maybe and uh, those kind of places which are mentioned in the scriptures are, are clear but Nazareth is not mentioned as the place where the Messiah will come from so how can you identify this Jesus who comes from Nazareth as being the Messiah the one that Moses wrote about he never wrote about Nazareth so how can anything good come from there how can the Messiah come from there is what he's basically saying can anything good come from there rather plain speaking rather open rather um, blunt in the way in which he speaks and he dismisses Jesus on the grounds of his origin Philip has a very wise reply which is not to try to argue the case well you know Nazareth isn't that bad rather he simply says come and see now the implication for that is if you see the person of Jesus you can make your own mind up and you will be impressed no matter where he comes from you will be astonished by what he says I have no doubt basically Nathaniel is saying that um, sorry when Philip is saying I have no doubt that if you meet him you will change your mind that's the implication of that come and see and when Jesus saw Nathaniel so he did come and see and he followed Philip and Philip introduced him and when Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching this is approaching so the implication here is that they've not had a chance to speak they've only they've only see each other in a distance because they're approaching they're some way off because they're some way off there's no conversation taking place yet all right so what we have then is here is a true Israelite in whom there was nothing false now that's an interesting observation Jesus sizing somebody up straight away and it has that power whether that's done supernaturally or whether there is some other indication which we're not told of here but as soon as uh, Nathaniel approaches here Jesus makes his assessment of the man and the assessment is in accordance with exactly what we've seen so far isn't it because Nathaniel was outspoken clear-cut told the truth said what he thought didn't hide his ideas or thoughts with subtleties and innuendos and those kind of things no he spoke out can anything good come from there don't believe it is basically what I'm saying I speak as I find so Jesus said he is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false by that he means you know this, this is not the kind of person who says one thing and does another or who says something to your face and says something else behind your back 
No, here's a man who's blunt and outspoken and says what he thinks. And that's what he means by nothing false. It may well be that um, Jesus had some knowledge of Nathaniel. It may be that Philip had actually said, I'm going to bring Nathaniel to see you. You'll find him good and proper. He's a, a person who, who is worth speaking to. And Jesus said, bring him along. So there may well have been um, some previous discussion about that. I think that, again, is quite likely. And using that, um, that version of Occam's razor, um, that we'll take the natural explanation over the supernatural explanation, because that's the most obvious way, we can gain an insight then into what's really been going on behind the scenes. How do you know me? Nathaniel asked. And that's a reasonable question, because if you're going to assess me and my character and who I am, how do you know who I am? And uh, it may well be that um, he's, he's been told about Nathaniel, but Jesus answered something rather incredible, and this is something which I don't have a natural explanation for. But Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Now that's interesting. That's very interesting. I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. In other words, before Philip told anything about you. I saw you under the fig tree. Now what does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean anything to us because we don't know what Nathaniel was doing as he was sitting under the fig tree. He could have been praying, he could have been talking, he could have been blaspheming, he could have been doing anything that we, that we just don't know. But the point is, probably no one knew. No one knew what Nathaniel was doing under the fig tree, except for one person, and that was Jesus. And that fact that nobody knew what Nathaniel was doing under the fig tree, even we're not told what it was that he was doing, that is something which impressed Nathaniel. Because whatever he was doing, he must have been alone, entirely alone. You can imagine that it may have been prayer to God, but it would have been something which would have been significant. He wasn't just sitting there resting. He was doing something deliberate because to say that I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you suggests that there was something happening here that Nathaniel was doing or undertaking while he was under the fig tree. And Jesus knew about that in a way that nobody else could. Now here my, my Occam's razor of the supernatural law they, falls away because I cannot think of any natural explanation for that and so I now have to turn to the supernatural explanation and the supernatural explanation is that Jesus could see Nathaniel even though he was far away beyond vision beyond sight and had a an insight and a knowledge of what was going on in Nathaniel's life at that time as a consequence of that declaration that Jesus saw Nathaniel doing something, saying something, being involved in something or other, which nobody else knew about, because 
Presumably Nathaniel was on his own. Nathaniel declares, that is incredible. I find that impossible to believe. I've heard a lot about you, Jesus. I've heard a lot about you from Philip. He claims that you are the Son of God, that you are the Messiah, that you're the one spoken of. But here I see for myself that what you've just said to me is impossible, unknowable. No one else could have known what I was doing under the fig tree. And so Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Now, just as bluntly as he spoke earlier on, can anything good come from Nazareth, where he dismissed Jesus? He now flips, flips 180 degrees and accepts him as the King of Israel and the Son of God. In other words, the titles which Moses and the prophets had spoken about in the Old Testament and which Nathan doubt, Nathaniel doubted, he now thoroughly and completely accepts, simply through that one astonishing statement that Jesus made. Now, that's quite incredible, but it must have been an incredible thing for Nathaniel to understand. It must have been a supernatural event for him to be able to make that declaration. There's no way that Nathaniel understood this to be, oh well, Philip's told you something about me. And in fact, Philip couldn't have told you something about him because Philip wasn't there. This was before Philip came. Nobody knew what Nathaniel was doing. Nobody. Nobody knew it. Not even us. And it doesn't matter that we don't know. What, we did, what does matter is that Jesus knew it in some way in which nobody else could. Jesus said, you believe, in other words, you believe I'm the Messiah, you believe my claims as to who I am, the Son of God, because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. That's a small thing, says Jesus. That's a tiny, unimportant matter. That's just a mere pinprick in the great fabric of the universe. But, and he added, you shall see greater things than that. In other words, if you follow me, then your astonishment and your amazement will be overwhelmed by the things that are taking place in my presence. You will see greater things than that. And of course, he sees the whole ministry of Jesus right even up to the crucifixion and the resurrection. And I think that the resurrection, the crucifixion and resurrection is already in Jesus's mind at this point where he says you will see greater things than that. And in fact, he tells you, I tell you the truth, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. That's an astonishing statement and it's something which I think has a reference to the idea of God's ownership of Jesus Christ and of the relationship of God to, um, to Jesus. When you have the heavens opened and when you have the angels of God descending and ascending, there is a kind of direct communication, a direct link between Jesus and heaven and Jesus and God. And that is something which is being spoken of here 
whether he literally means that you will see angels moving up and down that i'm not so sure about in fact i think it may be a powerful metaphor here for saying that you will be able to see that i the son of man i jesus christ have direct access to heaven and my communication with god is like one-to-one -one. i am with god and i am god so those things are those powerful statements here which are being made is not so much a statement of visual impact or visual miracle but rather a statement of personhood of authority of communication of link with heaven itself and that's the nature of this character jesus who attracts all of his disciples to himself well that brings us to the end of chapter one and we'll move on next time hopefully <laughs>